Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 68. And today, out of a desperate sense of necessity and an update that just needs to happen, <laughs> we're going to be talking about COVID. There are two big stories that are COVID-related before we get into it and jump and try and we're going to try and provide a, a general narrative of what we know about vaccines and go through uh, an update, a necessary update on hey, their hey, efficacy hey Dan, and what they hey can Dan, do. Is and this can't update do. necessary or is this superfluous? It's superfluous. Now, now is, is, are we skip. talking about this because of your dying need to discuss COVID? Because it seems like you're really qualifying the crap out of this one. <laughs> Excuse me. COVID. Um, we're. <laughs> Uh, sorry, we're so tired. Dan's been making that joke because I actually am currently quarantining because I actually do have COVID, uh, and uh, so so I actually do have a legitimate excuse if I am ever unable to form a coherent sentence or have to cut off my mic to to ratchet out a disgusting sounding cough. You know, I've got an excuse. <laughs> Dan over there with his cough, he's got no excuses, but I've actually got one. So if one of us can sound coherent, it might as well be you, Dan. So, so, so step fair. up your okay. game. Okay. So so after taking down my disclaimers, you've then put the weight of the episode on, on you me. And given, <laughs> given my own disclaimers. Give yourself an yes. out. I see. I uh-huh. see. I see how this mm-hmm. goes. I'm playing dirty today. So, as an as an update in the in the world of politics on COVID nineteen, you'll remember that the Biden administration put out a mandate, uh, not directly, right? They did it through OSHA, which is spelled exactly like ocean, and then they, <laughs> then it got shot down by a judge, which is as would as would be expected. It may still stand in the end. I don't know where that's at at this point. Yeah, it's it's um, it it's could, still being held, forward, and, but not. nothing's been. Com- Nothing's been decided with finality yet, but that's to be expected. It'll take a long time for that to happen. Yes, uh, so we'll see how that goes. For now, New York has put in a vaccine mandate. Various countries looking at the uh, the new Omicron variant, um, which I've heard pronounced a variety of ways. It's a it's a Greek word. It's the Greek letter, right? It's not. I don't know why people are so worried about pronouncing it a specific way. Anyway, <laughs> Australia is uh, upping their game. Australia, which for a long time has required you to do check-ins on a regular basis where you, um, they've used a couple different systems, uh, QR codes and um, uh, pictures and you know different apps and things. But the basic idea is you have to show them where you are every so often. And if you fail to check in, then that, that results in some kind of response in which they check in on you, right? Yeah, the goal being to keep people from leaving their houses and being places they're not supposed to be. Um, th- there were headlines about you know teenagers outside who got together illegally, and you know the the fury of what appears to be a SWAT team, you know, <laughs> level of of police group comes and shuts it down. Yeah, the, like, the there's some been some pretty good headlines. Um, a uh, couple videos of of police officers arresting people on the beach when you know there's no one near them, as well as the uh, <laughs> the police who uh, took pictures of their uh, of their bust after they they arrested a group of some people who were trying to smuggle KFC 
into one of the cities that had a stricter lockdown where you weren't able to travel from location to location and they were smuggling KFC <laughs> into the city and the police arrested them and confiscated the KFC and displayed it on their car like a drug bust. It was it was comical but also a little bit disturbing that right. that you know you know we've talked about drugs before about you know when you've got a victimless crime well now you've got an even more victimless crime of of KFC being distributed and you know what's the number one cause of covid spread in australia apparently it's KFC so <laughs> i would say victimless i don't know we, we, i haven't asked the chickens but i don't think they're thrilled about it brad oh, let's, go, let's bring go down let's that bring road. you know <laughs> vegans into it thanks dan <laughs> so Australia has upped their game as I mentioned they've uh they have especially in the less populated parts of the north at least that's where this has begun it may there's there's ideas that this may spread to the south um into the larger cities in the northern areas they have established covid camps and they are using military forces to go in Take people who have been exposed to COVID, uh, not even tested positive. <laughs> that's right, that's right, right. People who they find someone who's been tested positive, they look at their uh, their what contact tracing mm -hmm. kind of idea. They look at the people they've associated with, and then they go in and they take them to these camps. And they're literally a, a concentration camp carries a terrible. Uh, connotation right we think of a concentration camp as somewhere you're going to die and be mm -hmm. tortured whatever no and these are but these are essence, very polite camps you know these are yes. these this is this is not <laughs> this is in, in no way are we trying to imply that this is this is nazi germany in terms of death right. camps but but they are being taken to these camps and they are being held often against their will you know with threat of force right we don't want the connotation of a concentration camp but a concentration camp is where you Create a camp in which you concentrate a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. right? you've, you've made a discriminatory choice to say some part of the population needs to be separated from the rest of the population and concentrated into this area. And so you have a concentration camp, right? That's, that's what this is. You have a, you have a place in which you've, you've decided you can't be allowed out there free and doing whatever you may do, or even even under the, the general kind of house arrest they have. Mm -hmm. Now, presumably, this is because they can't, they don't have the police forces, perhaps, to to run a lockdown mm -hmm. as tight as they are doing in the big cities. I don't, I don't know the, the motivations, per se. But this is a way to make rural areas make sure that the people who have tested positive are actually Quarantined. Well, these aren't even you quarantine them. Tested positive. It's yes. It's and taking contact tracing to a new level. Yeah, I mean, and in in large cases, you know, they, all these people. In some cases, a large number of these people who are in these camps have already tested negative for yes. COVID and are still being, are held, being held on the small chance that they may have been exposed to it and are going to develop COVID over the next few days. Right, right, and uh, there have been stories of people escaping from these camps, mm -hmm. being hunted down and brought back, mm -hmm. which is, it's something else. Australia is uh, upping their game. And then combine um, that and then the, the, the third trifecta to this between lockdowns, these, uh, these camps that are being set up is the vaccine mandates. Many of the Australian states, it's not a nationwide vaccine mandate, but many of the Australian states are requiring the, uh, 
are requiring that you have the vaccine in order to perform basic life functions like work, you know, have a job or go to many public places like, you know, go to restaurants, go to any uh-huh. of any of the, the, the public spaces where you might want to do anything. You have to be vaccinated in order to do that. Um, Dark Horse Podcast has an episode where where Brett Weinstein interviews I, I can't remember her name, but but someone who actually has a a severe anaphylactic reaction to some of the ingredients in the vaccines, and she describes the process that she's been going through to try and get an exemption, a medical exemption, a medically required exemption, and it was disturbing to hear her talk about all the obstacles and roadblocks that were put up against someone who has a legitimate reason not to get the vaccine. And and I found that really interesting. You know, she talked about how her doctor refused to give her an exemption because the doctor was was scared for the legal repercussions. And I and I right. was thinking to myself, well, what kind of what kind of legal repercussions? Well, that brings me to an article that I was uh, that I recently read. Um, it's actually from WION, which is an Indian uh, uh, news site, which. I appreciate because the United States news sites just are are no fun, and uh, the, <laughs> they often don't cover the international stories like this very well. very well. There's always a different angle to it, while while the other mm-hmm. countries can be a little bit more honest. And the headline is "Life will be miserable for unvaccinated people," warns Australian medical chief. And this is talking about this medical chief is the head of the Australian Medical Association in Queensland. So this is one state or province or whatever they call it in Australia which are, you know, these states and provinces are the ones who are doing the mandates. And he says, and he says, in quote, life will be miserable without being vaccinated. You won't be able to hide, Dr. Chris Perry said, who's the Australian <laughs> Medical Association chief. And then he talks about how, down here is another quote from him, you won't be able to get a doctor to sign off that you got an exclusion, end quote, because there will be several restrictions. The doctors will be ordered to take immense care as all exclusion notices will be strictly looked at and doctors will be fined if any error is spotted in these exclusion certificates. He also added that the patients who are caught lying will be charged with fraud. In other words, if you're a doctor and, you know, normally, you know, there's, there's basically... If you're a doctor and you sign any kind of exemption form and there's anything wrong with it, even if you as the doctor didn't know there was anything wrong with it, you're going to be fine. Accidental errors. Any kind of errors at all, you're going to be fine. And I realize that that's the kind of thing that that doctor was afraid of, is that if they don't sign the exemption card, there's nothing bad's going to happen to them, right? But -hmm. if they do sign the, the exemption card, then who knows what kind of of fines they're going to receive as well as the you know the pressure they're going to receive from the government because the government is being run by someone like this who is just straight up trying to do anything they can to make sure people are vaccinated including limiting the rights and freedoms of people who actually have a legitimate medical reason that they cannot get vaccinated without risking their life like that person that uh brett weinstein interviewed it's betty pesamenti i pulled it up while you're looking perfect talking about it i that and that story is jarring like you like you said the the doctor not only won't grant an exception because she's afraid of some risk and that article does explain it um, what she may be afraid of 
they're holding doctors responsible not only for errors, but perhaps for, uh, you know, for uh, medically responsible for the person and things like that. That doctor also won't let her get the shot. Right? So the doctor, the doctor recognized that it's too risky for her to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But it's too risky to the doctor personally to give, give her an exception. exception. Right. And, and so she goes through this process that's just ridiculous to try and find a doctor who will. Yeah, she keeps, who will she keeps give getting her. stonewalled until she goes to social media and it goes viral. And then all of a sudden, you know, a doctor shows up and is able to, to sign the exemption card, which is just the start of the process. And she's still waiting to get approval yes. from the government. So she is not even finished with that process, even after going viral and getting that process expedited. Yes, even after becoming an international story, mm-hmm. which is which is ridiculous because she's the most obvious key case for an exemption, for an exemption, because she has, uh, you said an anaphylactic, uh, she goes an anaphylactic shock, or is likely to, because she's allergic to key ingredients in the vaccines, which literally risks killing her. This uh, this is not like even even with the doctor there present, ready to respond to the anaphylactic shock. That's not a risk you take mm-hmm, mm-hmm. haphazardly unless you unless you really have to. And she's got she's got a, a a variety of conditions. You know, one of those very complex medical cases in which she seems to have just a ton of problems and allergies and things. And anyway, and- if there's a if there is someone who should get an exception, it seems like it should be her. She does not get one. She can't get one. She's going through all kinds of processes to try and do it. So, the uh, as Brett Weinstein's podcast is titled "No Exceptions," mm-hmm. <laughs> because like you know, theorizing that if she can't get one, who, who is getting get one? one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, but it's, it's because a, it's, it's, a it's because Australia setting. has taken the approach of this is the problem. You know, this is the number one problem is COVID. All we care about is COVID, and problem with COVID is the unvaccinated. You know what I mean? The unvaccinated are causing the problem. The obvious solution is make the unvaccinated get vaccinated, and that will fix the issue. I mean, that's the narrative that we've been told here in the United States time after time after time again. And, you know, it's not just it's not just from from the president, it's from all these health organizations, the CDC and the FDA and 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 different different sources all over the place are telling us if we can just get the unvaccinated vaccinated, everything will be fine. And so Australia is just simply following through on that as they're saying, okay, well, we're going to do that. We're going to do everything possible at all costs to stop COVID. And it's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing to see it take place in Australia um, for multiple reasons. I mean, number one, even if this works, even if this works in Australia, never has a COVID death again. Can we all agree that it's worth it? Can we all agree that it's worth what it's requiring Australia to do? And and that alone is a is a controversial question. But the other aspect of that question is will it work? Is this going to be effective? You know, Australia has had lockdowns of extreme forms for I mean ever since COVID started, it's been one of the most locked down countries for the past 2 years. And yet they have not come away scot-free, you know what I mean? But they've definitely had way lower COVID fatality rates than a country like, let's say, the United States. And so some would argue that, yes, Australia is a template to look to, is the answer, is the solution. And 
we in the United States should simply do what Australia is doing. You know, that is a legitimate argument that's, or that is a legitimate appearing argument that's being made, Dan. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. We, in part because it over, in part because it overestimates the risk of COVID itself, which is not to say that COVID is not dangerous. There's a, there's a weird line in which people are like, either you believe COVID is the greatest threat ever and we have to do everything we can to squish it, or COVID is not worth worrying about at yeah, all. Yeah, or you anybody. think COVID is a hoax. Yeah, right. right. Those it's are your two straight options. Straight up a hoax. Those are your two options. And both of which are ridiculous. Both of which are ridiculous. There are things that are much worse. And there are things that are, and, and, and it's not zero threat at all. We've talked about uh, threat levels by individual, which is, I think, the most useful way to look at it because it varies mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount based on age, gender, uh, and various comorbidities. Um, they, they've done a, a variety of studies. We'll, we'll link this. There's, I've got a list of 35 papers and studies, some of them unpublished but most of them published and, and already out there and around that were comparing that were analyzing specific lockdowns in specific countries or comparing lockdowns across countries. We've mentioned this yeah, before. There this is, a while ago. There is no correlation between mortality rate and the severity of lockdown, right? The, there, which, which is crazy. It seems crazy at first. You'd go, wait, wait, what do you mean no correlation between mortality? The total number of people who are going to die doesn't seem to be affected by the severity of the lockdown. It's possible that Australia has been so severe that it somehow escaped that trend, right? This is not a, this isn't a, a, this doesn't propose a rule that is always and everywhere uh, accurate, but you can look through, you can look through the, the data yourself and see how like people people think the lockdowns correlated with a downturn in the spread when it doesn't that's that's uh, there's other factors that explain that people look at how in some countries look they did a lockdown and they're doing much better health wise than other countries and then you get into it and you find that there are other factors mm-hmm. the the obesity of the population the the age of the population right now, if if it affects the old people much more than it affects the young then elderly population is much more vulnerable right it, and you can you can get into lots of factors that then end up explaining and correlating across countries the total number of deaths. Lockdowns are not one of them. And and that's and, it, and that's a very real problem that we keep running into here, Dan, in terms of COVID, is is having useful data. We have so much data around COVID. Like there are mountains upon mountains upon mountains of data that's readily available to the public. You know, we don't have any insider access, but we can search online and we can get piles and piles of data. But forming that data in in a truly effective way that's going to accurately represent the world in ways that are meaningful and useful is incredibly, incredibly difficult. You know, a great example of this would be to say, okay, Australia has a much lower death rate per capita mm-hmm. than the United States does. Therefore, Australia's lockdowns have worked. And if the United States have lockdowns, we will have similar death rates to Australia. And as you're saying, that could be true, but there could also be a thousand other variables that mm-hmm. that that come into play here. Just like they've argued, hey, You've got these southern states in the United States 
that have lower vaccination rates and higher death rates, therefore the vaccines are working and it's only the unvaccinated who are the problem. And that could be the case, but it also could be something else. Here's here's a great example of how you could how you could do that. Let's let's look at there are a bunch of African countries that have some of the lowest vaccination rates in the world. Um, for example, yeah, some of it seems like almost all of the lowest. All, yeah, all, the lowest vaccination rates and all of the lowest death. And rates. that's what I was going to say is that you look at you look at them and you've got these countries like Burundi and Congo and and Chad and Sudan and and Niger and all of these countries that have crazy low vaccination rates. We're talking less than 1%, 1%, yeah. 2%, which is is nothing considering, you know, right. we've got politicians in the United States who are saying we have a 60% vaccination rate. That's basically worthless. You know, if if we don't have 80%, then it's worth nothing. And so they've got a 2% vaccination rate and have some of the lowest death rates per population in the world. And mm-hmm. and you could have anti-vaxxers grab that data and say, see, vaccinations do absolutely nothing. In fact, vaccinations are, are actually what's killing us, and therefore we need to be like these African countries and stop vaccinating, and the deaths would disappear. And and that's that's not true. That's that would be a a, a vast oversimplification of these correlations. But what is true is that vaccinations are not the only solution to COVID because we've seen with these countries that have super low death rates and super low vaccination rates that you don't necessarily need vaccinations in order to to have low death rates. And people are going to say, oh, well, Africa is different than the United States and that's why it's lower. And I'm like, yes, that is what I'm saying. What I'm saying <laughs> is there is something happening in Africa or not happening in Africa different than the United States that's resulting in a death rate that's a thousand times lower, like crazy low death yes, rates versus what's low. happening in the United States. And so the question is, is what are those differences? And there are, there are lots of potential differences. You've got... um Things as simple as as ages, you know, people in Africa are younger than they are in the United States. Mm-hmm. You've got a very large population of elderly people in the United States who have a lot of uh, comorbidities that make it much more likely that COVID will kill them. If you don't have that same population in Burundi or, or Niger or Chad, and I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that and I apologize then you're going to have different death rates. You know, you a lot of these countries don't have the same infrastructure and, and support system that the United States has, which would make you think that they would do worse, but it appears that they're doing better, or maybe they're underreporting the deaths, or maybe it's something else that we haven't looked at. And there are so many factors that need to be taken into consideration when looking at these pools of data Instead of taking one point of data and saying, this proves yes. everything. Saying, look, this correlates with the two examples I'm looking mm-hmm. at. Clearly, it's causal. Yeah. yeah, It's just not how it works. Um, Australia, even even if Australia's lockdowns have worked, and that is the reason their their death rates are so low, which is possible, mm-hmm. that, that if you go extreme enough, 
it should work. And on paper, that makes some sense. Yeah, if, if you it, can physically you're not interacting stop with people other people from ever getting <laughs> yes. close to each other, then you should have zero it will spread. spread. Like if you literally yes. put yes. everyone in their own prison cell and completely isolated them, then you could eradicate yes. it. But no one yes. has the, the technology, you know, no one has the capacity to do that. Right, including Australia. But they've they've come, they've gone as far as any kind of westernized country has gone. It's possible that uh, China's gone further, but we don't, well, just, we don't get that kind of information from yeah, China, internally China, from China. China, you don't trust any information coming out of China because they have too long a track record of just blatantly lying <laughs> for their own agenda. So we're just going yeah. to disregard anything coming out of China. Yeah. But we'll, we'll assume, let's assume for a second, that Australia has done it. That, that despite the fact that in, in general, as a general rule, there is no correlation between the mortality rate and the severity of the lockdown, um, then, then the question is, is it, is it worth it? Like you were saying, is, is that, is that still, you've, you've avoided a significant amount of deaths mm -hmm. from COVID. Perhaps, you know, assuming that the vaccinations work well enough and that when you do eventually open up, it doesn't come through and, and do what it was going to do anyway, right? We're assuming that by the time they open up, the long, the long term goal of the lockdown succeeds. Mm -hmm. Here's some, here's some data generally from the US about the cost of lockdown in the United States, a much less severe lockdown that only occurred in a few places, right? This is the, and we've been through some of yeah, this. Yeah, we talked about this about a year ago, but it's worth revisiting. Yes, people people forget that there's always trade-offs, right? If you're not, if you're closing trade and businesses, mm -hmm. you're not producing things. You're not uh, if you're if you're not letting people go outside, you're reducing the amount of vitamin D they're getting. You're increasing mental health problems, and all these are measurable differences. So here's uh, uh, just a random sampling. I'll post a. A, an article tracking a lot of these things, at least through 2020. Um, I don't know if they, they're still tracking them. Probably not because most of the U.S. has opened up mm -hmm. unless you happen to be in a few states and in a few cities. But um, So adults surveyed, 10.7% had thoughts of suicide compared to 4.3% in 2018. That's, that's almost two and a half times increase. In suicide ideation, um, anxiety three times higher than they were in 2019. Twenty-five percent of adults between 18 and 24 in the U.S. considered suicide in 2020. This was done in August 2020. That particular one. Um, uh, mental health emergency visits increased by 24 percent for 20. For 12 to 17 year olds, right? Young children going to the hospital for mental health things. Um, you can go through, there's, there's tons of others, uh, as far as mental health goes. Uh, overdose deaths increased 38%. Um, if you go to hunger and poverty, the number of children experiencing some kind of, of wasting, you know, extreme malnutrition, has gone up 20 million. That's crazy. Since the start of the pandemic. Undernourished individuals, with a less extreme than wasting, has increased by over 100 million. 
right? Why? Why on earth would the pandemic do that? Because oh, we've those numbers down. are are worldwide, right? That's that's worldwide. Okay, yeah. Yes, that yes. Sorry, sense. those two are twenty million, not in the U.S. Sorry, thank you for pointing that out. Jump to jump to worldwide. Ten thousand have starved to death. Ten thousand children have starved to death worldwide. It increased. Um, again, if if the pandemic is the lockdown worldwide, the effects of the lockdown worth worth this. Obviously, it's different just considering Australia. We don't know the the specific consequence of Australia. Um, you go on about the hunger. Uh, economically or or uh, more directly on health there are a ton of different things that are not being tracked diseases and things you know people if you remember the there were the hospitals are have to behave very differently to prioritize avoiding covid spreading um there are the diagnosis is back to the us pancreatic cancer diagnosis dropped 24% breast cancer diagnosis dropped 51% Yeah, which, There's which a, results in in increased deaths down the road. Right, right. All of these, all of these are going to have massive impacts on people, on not just the quality of people's lives. Um, you can go through all of the cancers, every and in things like chemotherapy, right? All of those we decreased early diagnosis. We put off uh, urgent referrals and different uh, treatments and chemotherapy. Um, all of these things because people were so afraid of the one risk of COVID that they're postponing, they're, they're hyper-focused on this one thing, and they're postponing treatments for various other problems that they have. The result is going to be that the deaths from cancer increase dramatically because of this. The, the deaths from opioids, as mentioned, increase dramatically. The deaths from suicide increase dramatically. Crime increased dramatically. Basically, every negative metric of society increased directly because of lockdowns not because of covid again this is mm-hmm. we don't want to confuse the two because of lockdowns um, and it doesn't take a a health expert to say that if you are locking people in their homes and they can't go outside they're going to get less healthy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's going to if people result can't in people order dying. kfc they're going to be more depressed <laughs> that's right the problem is not enough kfc kfc could solve maybe not kfc but maybe chick-fil-a or uh what other what other uh, restaurants have a cult following of, <laughs> of of just very dedicated people? KFC or uh, Chick Fil A is probably the best example. Maybe, maybe in the South you'd have Raising Canes. You know, we just got those here. We had two hour long lines of people trying to order it. Their chicken sandwiches? No, they're legit. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because it's just chicken fingers. <laughs> probably some truth to that. No, there is truth to that. I had one the other I day. I was like, is. holy cow. It's three chicken fingers on bread. Is that what it mm-hmm. is? <laughs> I had one and I was like, wow, this is this is legitimate. Now I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Me too. Anyway, we could mul- we could multiply this, right? We could we could go through all of these. I have I have in front of me uh what must be 50 statistics on this and there are more, right? There are things that are not being tracked. But if every metric of your health declines in order to fight COVID from mental to physical from from hunger and various other things. If all these things get dramatically worse because we've stopped production, we've stopped trade, we've stopped people going outside, we've stopped people exercising, the weight increase is significant. Something like 55% of adults in, uh, gained weight. Right? These things may, in the very not even in the like extreme long run, but in the very near future, may kill more people than COVID mm-hmm. did. And and even if they don't, it doesn't change the fact that that it does have have a very real toll and 
and it's 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 more complicated than that because because we've had this middle ground and so we're still getting a lot of covid deaths and we're getting those negative effects you know we're almost getting the mm-hmm. worst of both worlds in some ways right australia is the best case for saying no it could be worth it mm-hmm. if the lockdowns have succeeded but even then they're also going to have the worst effects i just mm-hmm. put food in my mouth i don't know what i was thinking <laughs> you were thinking that you were hungry I was thinking it looked good. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I've got some theories. (laughs) But uh, Australia, Australia will also have the worst effects Mm -hmm. on things like Mm -hmm. mental health and suicide. I've I've read things from Australians who, living in big cities, welcome. Most of this episode is actually just going to be me chewing. I'm just going to (laughs) listen. I'll get up close to the mic, so it's like you're. Actually, mm. like I'm chewing right next to your ear. Um, most of the effects of of the worst effects of lockdown will be manifest in in Australia. And if you read, I've read a number of of very sad, obviously anecdotal accounts of people who are talking about how they don't ever see anybody. Mm-hmm. They just they don't get to go anywhere. They don't get to do anything, and uh, and the result is that. Suicide and other things have skyrocketed even worse in places like Australia for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I mean, there's – and there's going to be long-term effects that are going to be really hard to quantify. I think in the United States, the fear and even not, not just the full-blown lockdown, but the fear that's been generated about COVID and the way mm-hmm. it's changed the way we look at the world, that's going to stick with people, especially the younger generations, their entire life and is going to have a real cost for them that that is going to be very hard to quantify. Yes. And and one of the one of the other things about it is that even if even if per se you did you were able to find all of the deaths that were caused by the lockdown in Australia versus all the deaths prevented by the lockdown, and you found that the lockdown prevented more deaths than it uh, than it caused, um, which is possible. I, I it may even be likely. I don't I don't know. I would I would guess that the unintended consequences are going to be worse. But you're trading what you're trading is not just a random death for a random death. You're trading. The death of a young person who's committed suicide or someone who had a, a, uh, health disease that that you could have, right, a health complication that could have postponed their life, perhaps to a full life when they're young or to a, uh, or even just five to 10 more years versus preserving the lives of the very elderly and and that's something COVID is and most that's something I want to kill. talk about real quick Dan is that there's been a strong narrative pushed that a lot more younger people are dying mm-hmm. and that with the delta wave and these new waves it's really targeting the young people um there's an article from the New York Times um from earlier this year I think it was originally published uh October then it was updated a month ago Talking about how the this delta wave is is super deadly, you know, is ripping through the unvaccinated, and how this delta wave is is targeting the younger generations in in an unusual way, and and they have these these beautiful graphs talking about how. How, how it's hit here, quote here, the Delta surge has hit working age Americans particularly hard. 
Older Americans are still more susceptible to the virus, but have benefited from their willingness to be vaccinated. And so you read this and you're like, okay, the, the young people are really being hit hard. And then you see this, uh, this graph, and I'm going to link this New York Times article, where it shows this, and above the graph it says a record number of young people died during the Delta surge. And it shows, you know, ages 45 to 54, 35 to 44, 25 to 34, and under 25, and shows them spiking way up, especially mm -hmm. the 45 to 54. You're like, wow, that is truly bad. But then they have a graph on the right, which shows that actually the entire graph on the left is the lowest line on the graph on the right and constitutes a tiny fraction of the deaths are below age 55. That yes, the deaths have increased for younger uh, age groups from what they used to be, you know, a year and a half ago. But they're still minuscule. Um, I've got updated uh, uh, data here from Statista that shows updated uh, December 1st that if you look from ages 0 to ages 39 and you compare that with uh, generational data which shows that ages 0 to 38, so actually less than that group, is just about 50% of the U.S. population. Yeah, it's like 168 million 168 million people ages 0 to 38. And ages 0 to 39 represent less than 20,000 deaths of the 780,000 deaths that have happened so far. In other words, yeah. a tiny, tiny fraction of total deaths from COVID are the bottom half of the population, people under 40. And then you look, you know, 40 to 49 is 33,000. So in that nine-year group, you've already got more deaths than the 40 years below it. And the 40 years below, which are half the which population. Which is half the population. And then 50 to 64 is more, and then way more as you get older. That has not changed. The New York Times is trying to make people afraid, even though they're younger, when in reality... If you are under age 55, COVID is not a huge threat. If you are under 40, COVID is a minuscule threat. And if you are a child, if you are under 18 years old, the threat of COVID, statistically speaking, is insignificant. And yet right now we've had this huge push to, to vaccinate the younger generations, you know, as this New York Times talked about, you know, it's these younger, unvaccinated, working-age Americans who are really the problem, when that is inaccurate, when the groups of people who are dying are these older groups, and it's still these older groups, even though those older groups have upwards of 80% vaccination in the United States. It's, it's, it's so dishonest, Dan. It's so it dishonest. dishonest because the peop the the age groups who are dying are the most vaccinated age groups, and still a large percentage of those people who are dying are the unvaccinated. But we're talking about twenty percent of that age group who's unvaccinated. Right, right. If you're if you're older, you should seriously consider getting vaxxed. If you were younger, especially if you're looking at children zero to seventeen. The idea that they need vaccinated and that this is going to make a difference is ridiculous. They're not even, I mean, it's so harmless 
to them specifically. And the more harmless it is, right? The lighter the illness, the less time they're going to have it, the less likely they are to spread it, right? This is exactly why getting a vaccine means even if you get it, you're probably going to spread it less because you're going to have it for less time. You're going to get, you, you may, you may have it so briefly, right? You may immediately fight off the virus after infection to the point where we don't even consider you infected, mm-hmm. right? You're just, you're, you're not really shedding at all. Um, it's this, it's this strange world. It, it's, and it doesn't make sense in the world where people who are vaccinated are getting sick frequently, right? If, if people getting vaccinated were never getting it and never spreading. Yeah, which is – and it's interesting because the, the story with the vaccine has shifted, right? When the vaccine right. first came out, the argument was the vaccine is 95% effective. And it was at least strongly implied at that time that that 95% meant that they were 95% protected against getting infected in other words if you were vaccinated you were much less likely to get infected and therefore (laughs) we get a large percentage of the population vaccinated and we would achieve herd immunity and we've talked Uh about this before but it's it's this narrative has become more and more shifted especially with the omicron variant but basically the argument is is that get the vaccine achieve herd immunity covid goes away we have these unvaccinated who are not getting vaccinated and they're stopping us from achieving herd immunity. And then right. you get the Delta variant and that becomes less true as the Delta variant is much more effective against the vaccinate the vaccinated in terms of getting infected. In other words, the vaccinated are very effective carriers of the Delta variant and therefore cannot achieve herd immunity with the vaccinated and then you get the omicron variant and right now we don't have a ton of data but i've got an article from cbs news talking about the studies that have already been done on the omicron variant and quote this is from the cbs news article that i'll link while the study carried out by seigel's team shows the pfizer shot may be 40 times less effective at preventing omicron infections the cases confirmed so far in south africa have been far milder than those seen during previous waves in other words what we saw it's worth noting that cvs is posting this right and usually we're sharing direct links to articles or or compilations of articles Mm -hmm. so you can actually look at the look at the data yourself and look these things yourself the fact that cbs admits that is crazy yeah and, and and it's and and they're they're optimistic which is good they're saying they're saying that <coughs> Omicron does not appear to be deadly. We've already seen a large number of people who are vaccinated and who have Omicron, and we're seeing near near zero hospitalizations and death from Omicron, which me as a human being, it, I'm very happy to hear that. And it's something we've mm-hmm. talked about before, that you're likely to have variants that are less deadly, but more infectious, to which I say, fantastic, because I would much rather have the common cold than catch Ebola. You know what I mean? It's not right. rocket science. Right. And well, in the common, there's a reason the common cold has never evolved into something more dangerous. You know, it varies a little bit within and a it's range. because of incentives. Yes, it's it's because of the, the incentives is a funny evolutionary term, incentives. But it, is incentives. Of, <laughs> it is. It is. It's the evolutionary biology incentives of a of a sickness of this nature, right? Of this kind that specifically spreads in this way. Um and uh and has these patterns, which of which COVID nineteen is akin to the cold or the the uh, 
the flu, right? In terms of the general uh, style and and potency, and and though I can't think of the term, but it, but it's it fits into that broad category. Far more dangerous initially, but likely to decrease more into the realm, so that it's more that it looks more and more like that, which the Omicron variant appears to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yay! Everybody, everybody get excited because it will, it will replace the other variants. That's the way Delta is. Delta made up, got to the point where it was like 95% of all the cases of, of, uh, in the U.S. of COVID. Omicron will hopefully do the same thing and is likely to. And, and so, but, so we bring this up because yes, from the human side of things, this is good news because it means that COVID is turning more into an endemic disease, one that's not going to go away, but one that's not going to be nearly as fatal. But in terms of public policy, this is very important because what this means is that our current administration's plan makes almost zero sense. That a year ago, the plan was we 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 put in efforts, things like mask mandates, there were the occasional lockdowns, and we try and keep people safe from COVID until we get the vaccines. Once we get the vaccines, we'll be able to achieve herd immunity, and we can move on from the disease. And it's a year later, and we're talking like that plan hasn't changed and will still work, but each of these variants has made that more and more impossible at this point, because... It's just, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for that to be the plan. It doesn't make any sense for us to talk like the unvaccinated are going to kill the vaccinated when whether or not you're vaccinated seems to have less and less effect on whether or not you're a carrier. You know, me as an unvaccinated individual who currently has COVID, you know, statistically speaking, it's likely that my symptoms were worse than someone who was vaccinated who also contracted COVID, right? Just statistically speaking, mm-hmm. I should have experienced worse symptoms than someone who was vaccinated. But statistically speaking, it's no longer true that I would be more of a carrier than someone who was vaccinated. In fact, you might argue that because their symptoms were milder, they were less likely to stay home. In fact, not even because of because of how they felt, but because of the the current policy. I know someone who was uh, exposed to COVID around the time I was, who was vaccinated, and because they were vaccinated, their work said, "No, it's no problem. Just come into work tomorrow. You don't need to quarantine at all." Even though what? you were exposed to someone who tested positive, because you're vaccinated. Because a year ago that made sense. Because a year ago they were like, "Because you're vaccinated, you're not going to contract it." And so you can just come back to work. But that was a year ago, but they haven't changed their policy. And so now they can go back to work, even though they are just as likely or almost just as likely to have COVID and to spread it to their coworkers as I am, as I'm coughing up a lung and they're not. Yeah. And so so what I'm saying here, what I'm saying here is I'm not trying to be anti-vaccine here. I'm saying, let's look at this logically. And logically, as you were saying earlier, it's become an individual decision because whether or not I'm vaccinated doesn't really affect anyone else. It just affects me. Yeah. And, and public policy should start to reflect that. And we, and you know, vaccine mandates make less and less sense. 
And what mm-hmm. does make sense is letting people make their own choice because it's not about anyone else. It's just about me now. Right. We've, we've made a case, a consistent case over the time that it should be an individual choice mm-hmm. from the beginning based on a variety of, of things, the individual risk assessments, the, 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 and, and the way what's that it, it poses just. different risk to people, what's morally just, the the unintended consequences of state actions, all of it's which I think have, have is still very true. At this point, if you update yourself on the if if you if you are up to date on the effectiveness of the vaccine versus the relative risk of the new variants versus the you know all of these things, I feel like it should be almost universally agreed upon. The individual choice is the only thing that makes sense for vaccine because it's, it's like, and this happens a lot in politics where you get, you get one story and it gets set in stone and it doesn't vary. It's politics is such a disastrous sphere to talk science in Mm -hmm. all of the political incentives push against the necessary, the necessary flexibility to adapt to an ongoing scientific discovery, such as how do we deal with COVID? It's it's absolutely disastrous to try and and use politics to push that. All the political incentives go the other way. Political incentives say come out strong with a plan and, and don't and deviate you, from it. And you don't deviate from it. Right. That's that's how you win votes. Mm-hmm. You you put together a plan and you stick to it even when it's patently absurd. That's your best bet for securing political support. And that's exactly what a lot of people have done. <laughs> And it's terrible for an ongoing scientific discovery, for an ongoing scientific process in which we, we learn things. So the story of the, of the vaccine goes something like this, right? We get this new technology, record time, awesome. People were really skeptical for a while. Some people, it changed politically once the parties changed, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it is really fun to listen to quotes from, uh, from like a Kamala Harris who who when asked if she would take the vaccine said that she (laughs) didn't think it was a good idea to take the vaccine that, that Trump had pushed through. Right. Again, another example of the politics of Republicans Mm -hmm. like, Oh, pro vaccine because Trump's behind it. Anti-vaccine because Biden's Biden's in charge of it. Same, same. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so you get through that point. We got this, the best spin on the, on them, right? They seem to be extraordinarily effective. In the clinical tests, which are not nothing, they're they're really useful. You then get it out there and you you test it and you look at you look at the vaccine versus natural immunity. And in the early studies, the vaccines looked better in a variety of ways. This is something that we I and mean, there's a lot of talk about: should natural natural immunity be considered immunity mm-hmm. for purposes of vaccine mandates and things? Um, initially, it looked a lot like the vaccines were better, which didn't they, mean they that measure. there wasn't. A ton of value in the natural immunity, yes, even back yes, then. Yes. Even back then, but but people were. If you look at this and you go, wait, 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 vaccine immunity is stronger than natural immunity. Then it makes sense to push that even on people who have natural immunity. Of course, uh, the immunological responses are so complicated that it turns out, and this is probably news to people who who are used to hearing about this because the political doesn't update yeah. the scientific with the scientific it turns out natural immunity lasts longer and has a more and provides in a more the substantial real world. response in the real world despite the fact that the studies the studies weren't wrong they were looking at the amount of uh antibiotic 
antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere between antibiotics Some and antibodies. antibodies. I like it. Antibiotics. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Uh, yes, they're, they're looking at a variety of metrics, right? What is, what is generated by the exposure of the vaccine versus the exposure of the, of the virus naturally, which is what we call natural immunity, which is a terrible name for it because it's misleading. But natural immunity is when you get the virus mm-hmm. and the immunity you have after, <laughs> not to be confused with immunity pre-getting the yeah, virus, yeah. which is probably more natural. Mm-hmm. That's the natural, natural immunity. <laughs> <laughs> naturally. <laughs> naturally. Um, anyway, so you get, the, you get the two kinds of immunity generated by exposure to the virus, generated by exposure to the vaccine. They measure them, they compare them, they look at the different things that are generated inside the, the T cells, the antibodies. I, I almost said it again. And, <laughs> and the other things, and they go, the vaccine, significantly better. In practice, what ended up happening is the vaccine did not provide long-term immunity at an efficacy that is acceptable, hence the need for booster mm-hmm. shots now. Right? They're, looking, they're talking about booster shots. Whereas they just did a, pretty recently, they did a study of natural immunity in, uh, published in the journal Science, which is preeminent journals uh, for scientific discoveries, in which they concluded that they had, they had looked at it across six months, and they found that at least six months, natural immunity is amazing. It's really good. And, it, and, and that's better than the vaccines thus far, uh, better than uh, proven in a study, at least, in the vaccines, um, which, which turns things, right? This is, this is something that matters but it's mattering less because of the exact things Brad was talking about with Omicron, mm-hmm. right? It's matter- like this is, in some ways, we're having like three debates and those debates are frozen in, at different time points mm-hmm. at which they no longer make sense, right? Turns out efficacy of the vaccines fades. Most people don't act like it doesn't. Turns out the natural immunity is really good, despite the fact that the initial studies made it seem like the vaccine was superior and thus you should have people with natural immunity vaccinated. Um, turns out that... uh that the vaccines are not spreading this, not stopping the spread, right? Variants have gotten past it. Mm-hmm. You can, you could have 100% vaccination. We would still be in a pandemic. Now, maybe there'd be, there would be less deaths, but the vaccine is also not harmless in itself. And that's a, that's another aspect of, that, that, the, that gets swept away. It's muddy yeah. super fast in part because the U S is not tracking it. <laughs> they, they don't track of all the stupid things not to track, they don't track the effects of the vaccine. And in terms in, of in, in, uh, in terms in of comprehensive bad ways, yes. In any comprehensive way, mm-hmm. what they have is is a means of self-reporting, which is instantly they, dismissed. If you which, if you use VAERS data in any kind of discussion, you will be immediately dismissed because VAERS data is self-reporting and therefore yeah. invalid. And so then the natural response is, okay, well, where is the CDC's data collection of every single person who's taken the vaccine is like, oh, well, we don't have that. You know, Israel has that, but we don't have that. Yeah. Right, right. So you have to rely on international reports, which, which suggest that the vaccine, as far as vaccines go, these vaccines are not particularly safe. Yeah. Now, they're not extremely dangerous. Yeah, but there wanna... are definitely risks, which, which is mm-hmm. why, you know, as we've talked about before, you need to have that risk analysis where if you're over 65, maybe even over 55, the scale quickly tips in the other, in one direction where 
even with the risks for the vaccine, they're going to make a ton of sense. And the yes. younger you are and the less comorbidities you have, because you have to factor that in as well. You could be right. 30 and have a large number of comorbidities. That can change the narrative. And then the younger you get and the healthier, healthier you are, the less and less risk that you have. And soon it actually reaches a point where the vaccine can actually be more dangerous. And one of those areas is in children. In children where COVID risk is incredibly low, it's easy to actually argue that the vaccines may be more dangerous. Yeah. And once again, the problem in the United States is that is our unwillingness to collect data but looking at other countries like Israel, there's definitely an argument to be made there. Or at least there's an argument that there's a discussion worth having here yeah, yeah. about the risk there's instead of signaled. what the CDC says, which is that it's still overwhelmingly clear that you should get the vaccine, which they offer without any evidence. They just throw yeah, it of, out there. Of the almost... 80 million, something like between ages of like zero and 17, there's like, there's something like around 70 million. I don't have the exact numbers. I know zero to zero to 19. I think it's like 20 or uh, 80 million. Anyway, somewhere around 70 million there, there have been 600 deaths in the U S children in that category. It, it's, it's so absurdly low. And of those 600, how many of them probably had health problems, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, that's like one in a hundred thousand or something like that. A couple, so a couple out of a hundred thousand, if I remember correctly. I think it's how healthy is your child relative that, to but... other children? Yeah. What are the, what are the comorbidities of your children? Right. What are the, what risk is this actually posing to them? And if there is a real risk from the vaccine, also extremely low, how do you compare them? Mm -hmm. It's, it's you, you should compare them, right? This is, this is how you would make a reasonable decision about your child's health. And it's just not happening. Instead, we're talking about, we're talking about it as if giving the children the vaccine will save grandma because they won't spread the variant. Which is no when longer that's true. Not true. Yeah, it's not true at all. It's uh they might, they might have a slight, there will be with the Delta, there will be a decrease in how likely they are to spread it. But it's relatively small, and what you should probably do instead is just watch your children's health and not associate with grandma when they're unhealthy. Like there's there are other ways. It's just it's just weird. The political incentives put us into this world in which we look at a few very specific factors, and we're no longer living in a, in the complex world of reality, where health is a much broader thing. No, and and, and that's something that Dark Horse Podcast brings up on a regular basis, and. Uh... Clearly, clearly, uh, if you want more information on this, listen to Dark Horse Podcast. <laughs> we referred to them a dozen times. But, but you know, I, I, I like to steal from them because they make some good points. And one of the points that they've been making for, for months and months now is if, if our goal is to reduce fatality in general, or even just to reduce fatality from COVID, since apparently it's the only kind of fatality that matters – but if our if our goal is to produce fatality from covid why are we not talking about all of the risk factors that contribute to that mortality and things that can be done 
to mitigate them. You know, they keep talking about vitamin D. Why is vitamin D not being pushed? You know, what are the what are the risks of taking vitamin D? Well, they're basically non-existent. What are the risks of going out and and getting some some sunlight every day? <laughs> you know, these are what are the risks to going and telling people to exercise more? And yet these things are not being pushed even though there's an ample amount of evidence that doing those things increases your chance of of having a milder experience with covid not to mention cancer and, and all, all the other, other things, things but even though, like i said even <laughs> mental if health even and, if covid right. is the only thing you care about which only... for a lot of people it is right now there's strong evidence that that has a large effect you know the you know it's a question that i've asked myself is you know, is a large part of Africa's success coming from the fact that they are way healthier than people in the United States in terms of many of these comorbidities, that they're right. not obese, that they're getting much more sunlight, that they're, they are exercising on a regular basis. And so they have stronger lungs and a stronger heart and their, and their bodies are able to handle this virus in ways that, you know, the average obese American like myself is just has a harder time with it. Right. If you channeled, if you channeled a fraction of the time and energy people have put it, put into watching news about COVID-19 and, and talking <laughs> and about it on into, social into media being healthier and put that into a direct effort to just be generally healthier, some kind of some exercise and sunlight is the most basic you would have done more to decrease death in the United States than all of the lockdowns and all of the political actions taken. It's a, it's a weird, <laughs> it's weird in that the hyper-focus has led to a widespread neglect in health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in the, in the United States, all that matters is the vaccine. That is the only option. You know, don't, don't talk about all of the all of the drugs that have been introduced, the monoclonal antibodies that that reduce the risk of death. Don't talk about, you know, the other drugs that have been dismissed like fluvoxamine or ivermectin. Don't talk about mm -hmm. that. Just talk about the 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 simple things that we could do that that we're choosing not to focus on. That uh -huh. could have a huge impact. It's crazy. It doesn't impact. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense until you remember that it's not about actually making reducing fatality in general it's not about what's the most logical course of action it's about political incentives it's about you know people making a claim making a plan and then feeling like their only option is to stick to it and not being flexible enough to adapt to realities even though some of these things like vitamin d have been known for well over a year have been known for almost the entire length of the pandemic and yet has you know it's not this is not a new this is not a new change like omicron you know just like the fact uh -huh. that the vaccine is less effective is not new with omicron that happened with delta omicron is just a continuation of that trend is there what do you think brad are we are we on the verge of seeing daylight as omicron spreads well hopefully we, we see we daylight cuz that will help us with we covid need the vitamin d <laughs> <laughs> are we getting close is there uh is there a tipping point I, i'm not sure i still have a bad sense of where the u.s is at generally in public opinion in, in general I Dan, i'd, I'd say York. that things are getting worse 
I, in terms of seeing daylight, I felt like there was a time a while ago where it was heading that way, but, but I don't know. I just don't know. I, you're right. There, there was a period where it felt like we agreed to disagree in the, the states in the United States that wanted to open, just opened it, went on with their lives and the other ones but, said, forget the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, but if anything, now it's become much more divisive where it really is this, this strange battle. I mean, it's, it's, we're, I'm waiting for the propaganda posters about how the unvaccinated are coming to, to, to eat your children. You know what I mean? Like, I did, yeah, I heard Omicron blamed on the unvaccinated. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's wild. As someone who is unvaccinated, it is wild to see the, the subtle pressure that, that is felt on a daily basis by people you interact with. And I'm over here living in a, you know, in a conservative state interacting with mostly conservative people, but there's, there's just this, there's just this weird, this weird thing out there. And it's, and it's interesting because it doesn't, it doesn't line up with the facts. It doesn't line up with, with the world that we're living in. And, and that's a real problem. It is. It is. I don't know how to, I, I, there was a, I had exchanged data with a doctor who was talking about how important lockdowns were. And I shared with him half a dozen studies on it. <laughs> he, at one point he's like, no, I'm a doctor. I look at the studies. And I was like, oh, good. Well, let's restart <laughs> this conversation. Here's a study. 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 Now, what do you, you know, what do you <laughs> think of those? And he's like, well, they're not showing this. And this is like, yes, but every one of them concluded mortality. They, they literally have a phrase similar to mortality has no correlation with the stringency of the lockdown or with the, with the fact that they locked down versus these other states. Like to this day, people probably think Sweden did something just totally immoral in their choices, you know, to, to not protect their citizens or however they, they frame it. But it's just not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know in this world of data, if it's too complicated in the narratives, the political incentives and the narratives too strong for us to ever sort through it. Because ideally what happens is in five years, we all look back and we have a relatively uniform answer and general sense happened, of, yeah. of what happened. And I don't think we're ever going to get that. It's too bad. It's it, it doesn't bode well for science, right? As a broad mm -hmm. as a broadcast, not not the science, which is Fauci or so he. <laughs> so I understand. I'd always heard people make fun of Fauci, but when he but said when he himself, said that himself, it was embarrassing. It was amazing. To make fun of me is to make fun of science. Uh, <laughs> at that point, I was like, okay, you're asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> everything that. I will no longer Excuse feel me. bad for uh, for any mockery of there or uh, poking at the science. Yep, yep. feel free. But uh, it's a yeah. It it suggests a world in which we need to significantly restructure incentives of of scientific study. I mean, at this point, part of part of why they can have part of why in the U.S. it's such a uniform story, and you have to dig to find the studies and the data and things, is because uh, is because most of the scientific funding ties back to the federal government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's got to be an, an important part of this. It's again, and, and, and there's been so much censoring in the, the private field. You know, there's been yes. such a strong mm -hmm. push to, mm -hmm. you know, you get defunded on YouTube. You have doctors who are, 
who are losing, you know, losing positions because of the the stances they've taken on COVID. You know, and that's and that's not a great place to be in terms of freedom of speech and freedom of thought, which allows new ideas to come about. You know, no wonder we can't have new ideas when any new idea about COVID can put you in jeopardy of losing your livelihood. <laughs> I heard a I heard a political analysis of that that I really liked that I think is is fair. If you want to know which side is lying to you. It really helps when they start shooting the dissenters, right? You can, you can, you can tell in part because they start shooting the dissenters. No, and it's something that you hear about COVID is, is you'll hear people say things like, "All the evidence is clear. All the doctors agree." It's like you can't use that argument when anyone who dissented is is literally is literally silenced some way or another. Yeah. That's not yeah, a, that's not a fair discussion. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting. There's uh, one of the like for any uh, any disease that we didn't even talk about treatment. We could talk about. There's so many things we could talk about. The treatments for COVID nineteen, like the diagnosis, never got updated, mm-hmm. and we got really really bad treatment guidelines initially. One of the most interesting things that I've heard recently about it is that there's the uh, that for any given disease or illness, the great the U.S. hospitals and uh, you know the largest networks, the the Harvard Medical Association or whatever they're called, uh, the John Hopkins mm. Group, the, they will come up with their own treatment uh, plan. Basically, yeah, there's there's a term for it, their own treatment guidelines or something, and they will have how they do it. Right? They they practice. Mm-hmm. They go empirically. They they try different things. They explore in a very doctor experiential. Tr- uh, empirical manner mm-hmm. right and they and then they develop their own way of dealing with it and then what you find is you look at various uh, medical associations and groups like these and you can compare them mm-hmm. right you can say well what are they doing what are they doing what are they doing why are they doing mm-hmm. it and then at the highest level these groups will discuss amongst each other right and say well this is this is why we're yeah, doing and this and this is the results and-, and learn from each other right and move and move somewhat closer together but they never completely coalesce, right? There's never one standard. How many standards are there for treating COVID? How many of these groups developed their own? None of them, as far as I know. No, I mean, there, you had there a were couple individual independent doctors, groups that started. Yeah, yes. And, and were repeatedly pushed down. And the end result is that for all intents and purposes, you have one treatment plan. And, and that's a real problem when that one treatment plan is politically motivated and it's politically limited and is not flexible. Yeah. You have doctors leaving these great institutions, these historically most adept institutions often in the world for treating novel health things, and so that they can actually do what they've been always doing, which is be doctors and, and try things and figure out what works and what doesn't. And, and the reality is, is that that treatment plan has improved in the past year and a half, Yes, but it's been severely delayed because mm-hmm. instead of you having these small groups who are trying these independent things, it has to be, you know, you know, top down, top down by committee. And only after there's overwhelming evidence for months and months and months about how effective a treatment is, will they allow it to be yeah. used? Yeah. You have, you have a lot of people who died who shouldn't have because they were being treated poorly because there was a universal standard in which the doc, their doctor was, was determined, was 
their doctor's judgment was overruled by some kind of uh, some kind of standard. It's 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 not un, it's not dissimilar to what was happening in Australia, where the doctor is too afraid to mm-hmm. make a choice that would be good for the patient because of legal or social blowback. Yep. All and, right. Yeah, and that's and that's not the world that we want to live in. Is is it one that's by political incentives and and by who's in office do we decide who lives and who dies? And in some ways, that's that's where we're at with COVID, and it's not where we want to be. Right. It's a it's a it looks like massive incompetence, and it is, but it's it's incompetence because of the systemic incentives and the the, the pressure, the social pressures that people are putting on. On the non-believers, it's a, and that's why our solution, our response to COVID, is not don't take the vaccine or you know you know just take vitamin D. It's decentralize. Is stop having the federal government decide everything. Stop limiting people's ability to make their own decisions, whether they're doctors for their patients or individuals for whether or not they want to take the vaccine. To allow people to make their own choices, so that we can actually find out what works and adapt to this virus in a reasonable and efficient way and well at the same time respecting people's rights and freedoms and you're going to have you know not not a utopia but the best possible outcomes yeah you know this is still a virus people are still going to die as we've seen that's not avoidable really Mm-hmm. But we can we can at least do the best that we can, which I think everyone can agree we're not doing right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a mess. It's a global mess. It's in some ways it's good that it's global because if it were just the United States, I think the narrative would be be much easier to control the story. Yeah, when you see the outliers of other on. countries, it really sticks a hole in the narrative. Yes, yes, and and luckily the U.S. government can't control. <laughs> it doesn't have quite. It doesn't control uh, science. It, it, not directly per se. Um, it, it, <laughs> that's right. You can't control the science. <laughs> you can't control Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it, it just exercises a lot of influence. But it, but across the world, luckily that uh, the influence of the various institutions compete, and and you get a you can get a, a more complete picture. But anyway, anyway. It is good news in terms of the general trend of COVID. Things are getting less dangerous. It's not a, it's not a good news in terms of our response to it, but at least the virus itself is taking care of itself. It is. Luckily, nature's making it a little kinder. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.